hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. We're back, boys. Far down breakdown. And girls. Again. What? Well, yeah. <laughs> girls, too. I'm sorry. I, you know, let's let's try that again. All right. Um, we don't really have to try that again. That's just like, you know, speak in the world for like, I'm going to I'm going to give that another go. Uh, but let's let's start. Let's do. How are you, friends? See, that's all encompassing. That gets everyone. Uh, we're super pumped to be back with everybody. Uh, we've got a good one coming up. We've got uh, our boy Mike Carver from the I'll See podcast. And, uh, you know, we always tell you we're not an Islanders podcast, but uh, this one's going to be Isles heavy. Uh, <laughs> really, really stoked to have him on. Uh, you know, he's uh, done some really great things in uh, in Isles media and uh, their, uh, you know, their, their podcast is, is really great. So, uh, we hope if you haven't had the opportunity to check it out, we hope that uh, after this this episode, you go run the gamut of all of their uh, episodes because they are really great. Um, but, you know, before we get into our interview uh, with uh, with Carver, which was super dope, do want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the news that just came out. Uh, so the AHL announced that they're going to be starting their season in February. So we've got uh, something that seems pretty concrete there. Uh, Wonder if that means that the NHL is eyeing February and just hasn't said anything. What do you think? Yeah, that might be a, a clue because usually the two seasons do run kind of side by side. Yeah, um, kind of parallel. Yeah, parallel. Um, I I think it definitely is at least an indication that that you know NHL might be starting maybe early February, end of uh, end of January. Uh, does kind of. I would say kind of put a poo poo on our plans of getting like hockey at the start of the new year. Yeah. So, you know, because you would think maybe if I uh, don't know, never mind. I was going to say maybe if they were going to do January one, they could have done like a kick off the season with the winter classic. But since it's such mm-hmm. like a big event for the NHL, like having no fans and not like being able to, to like showcase hockey to, non-hockey fans mm-hmm. i i think i i really think that having no winter classic this year probably is the best bet yeah i mean the thing that makes the winter classic so great you know is not just the atmosphere of you know being outdoors but it's you know having all those fans in the building and have it you know be that much more loud and raucous so it probably is for the best if they uh put it on hold and you know when uh you know the pandemic starts to slow to a crawl and uh you know we've got a a vaccine and can be more healthy and safe. Hell, man, you know, run the gamut next next season and do a bunch of them. You know, make it really special. Um, I I do believe in the NHL's ability to um, to be smart about things, so I'm really hoping that that's the route they take. Um, but um, you know, 
not that it's related to hockey, but it's been a hot button issue, um, you know, kind of running around the the sports channels. And I want to see if you have an opinion about it. But uh, so the Dodgers won the World Series and, um, uh, you know, Justin Turner, who had tested positive for covid was out on the field celebrating the victory. Um, you know, really dangerous. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know if that was something that was on your radar, if you'd heard about that, but, uh, Dude, I think when I cut the cord to cable all these years ago, like, yeah, because I used to be like an avid sports center guy, like, you know, in the morning getting ready, let me put it on at the end of the day, like falling asleep, let me put it on. Yeah, but then like once I cut the cord, I was like, "Oh my god, that wasn't even that entertaining." Like it, it really isn't even that like. Yeah, lot. it's like background noise. Yeah, and, and and I also then just kind of fell out with my my secondary sports. Okay. So, dude, I don't even know who Justin Turner is. So Justin Turner <laughs> was he was on the Mets for a spell, uh, and then uh, he went over to the Dodgers and ended up being like a pretty prolific player. And was um, like one of the Dodgers, like, you know, more formidable players. But yeah, the uh, he, I guess, had tested positive for, for COVID. And, um, you know, when the team won, he was out there celebrating. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the wire of different uh, sports outlets. I know, uh, you know, First Take had a, you know, a big thing about it. But it just kind of begs the question, you know, we talk about sports as you know being life-changing for things and you know winning a championship i'm sure a lot of these guys can say is probably second to the birth of their you know their their child if not you know above and beyond that so you know where's that line you know like because it would be a a big bummer you know if um you know the islanders won a cup and you know Barzi was, you know, sick with COVID and then all of a sudden he was on the ice, you know, celebrating and touching and kissing the cup, you know, all this stuff. So it's kind of like, at what point do you really have to sit back and say that this pandemic transcends what sports are? And I think it's safe to say that it does. So you kind of wonder like how that can slip through the cracks and not be looked at as uh, just being dangerous. Well, you know, I hate to then kind of shine some negative light on our on our sport because when the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup, you know, yeah, they had their boat parade, but then after hours when, you know, the players started to get probably a little buzzed, mm-hmm. videos started surfacing of like players going up to fans and letting fans drink out of the Stanley Cup. Yeah, yeah. So Jeez. like <laughs> that seems a little worse than you know, one player celebrating with his teammates. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. You know, I hate to say it, but, you know, the statistics do kind of go in their favor where, you know, they're kind of athletic. They are, you know, in their early 20s, mid 20s, whatever it may be, like the chances of them like dying from COVID are pretty slim to none. Yeah. Whereas, you know, these people out on the street drinking from the Stanley cup, like you really don't know if you were coming in contact with someone that's immune compromised and yep. Yeah, you're right. That, that seems a little more dangerous to me. So, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't want like our, our, you know, listeners to think that we're like sitting here and, and, you know, poo pooing on, 
you know, the importance of, of winning championships, you know, it's, it's a huge thing, but you know, at the same time, we're in this, all in this together, you know, every single one of us, whether we're, you know, sitting at home making 40 grand a year or making, you know, millions of dollars to play professional sports. It's, uh, you know, this, this, you know, pandemic and this virus, you know, your, your wallet doesn't matter. Your star power doesn't matter. You know, if, if you're not careful, it's going to get you. So it's, uh, you know, just a little, little disheartening to hear. And, and, you know, I, I, the first I'm hearing of, of the, uh, the lightning doing this, but you know, that's a bummer too. You know, I, I get that you want to, you know, celebrate with your hometown faithful and there's a right time to do it. Uh, you know, just probably not right now, but I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting development and wanted to bring it up and see if you had an opinion on it. Did, did his like teammates look at him? Like, what the hell is he doing out in the field? Or are they like, no, I think them and... I think they just embraced them just because I, you know, I, I you get caught up in the moment. I mean, you know, you 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 just won the World Series, you know, you just want to, you know, let it all out, and I get it, you know, and um, and I think like you know, if I go back and like read some of the information on it, I think he had said that he wasn't like presenting any symptoms or anything like that, and it was just like a spur of the moment thing. I think he might have even like apologized for it, but you know, it's it's just it's still one of those things that uh, you know, you, you kind of have to look at and kind of fur your brow a little bit just because, you know, I, I get it. I mean, part of your heart just wants to be out there with those guys that you've, you know, blood, sweat and tears with, but, you know, at the expense of, uh, you know, possibly getting other people sick and then, you know, the, the way the public is going to view it. And, you know, now that's why we're in this, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's just totally <laughs> change the subject because like you hinted at, we ha- are, are super excited about the interview that we have tonight. Uh, Carver just does wonders for the Islanders fan base, you know, actually having someone who covers a team and has like press credentials and like does the show really for the fans. It's just awesome to have him on. And, you know, I, I can say that him and I have become friendly over the, over the years with the stuff I do at Isles meetups and, you know, he's just a great dude. So it's about time we get him on here, talk some music and hockey. And I think even if you are not an Islander fan, you're going to impre- appreciate the energy he has, the enthusiasm, enthusiasm he has for hockey. And he's just a great dude. So I'm, I'm super excited for this conversation for you guys to hear it. And I'm also super excited about our latest Instagram contest. Tom, you have not entered in the Instagram contest, so you will not win. I thought I was exempt. I thought I wasn't even allowed to enter because it would be it would be cheating. Yeah. Didn't even like the post that there we go. That's that's our co-host, Tom. I retweeted it. I definitely <laughs> retweeted it or did something. I don't know what I did. Well, we got a sweet collaboration going right now with our boys in Benty Shades, a great Long Island sunglass company. Their whole spiel is that they use recycled and upcycled materials to create the frames so they're sustainable and you know they're affordable and they're they got the 100 percent uv protection all all the 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 you know requirements that you would pay top dollar for you know with a, a pair of ray-bans or whatever it may be and you know they're doing it with you know the environment in mind and they're they're just dope shades and the shades that we are raffling off are actually like recycled skateboards like that they yeah that they have made into these just awesome wood frame uh 
shades that if you f- go to, to our Instagram, you can enter and make sure you are following Bar Down Breakdown. Make sure you are following Benty Shades. Make sure you like the post and tag two friends. That's simple. And you yes. could have a sweet pair of shades that you can. Tom will never have because he did not enter the contest. No, because I am not allowed to enter the contest because it just wouldn't be fair to all of you wonderful listeners out there who just want a sweet pair of recycled skateboard shades that you're never going to be able to get anywhere else. It's one of a kind stuff, man. It is super cool. Well, he's also uh, lying because if you want them, you can also go to the website and pay forty nine ninety nine to get a pair of Benty shades. No, but I mean, like, you, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're never going to win them from another bar down breakdown contest. So. One of a kind in so much that, like, you know, it comes from from our hearts to you. And I think Touché. that's why it's very important that you enter the contest and you like the post and you go ahead and you like us on Instagram. You like uh, you like them on Instagram and you tag some friends and you get it going because, you know, you can win these shades and you can be the coolest guy. And, uh, you know, when someone's like, where'd you get those cool shades? You could say, oh bar down breakdown just gave them to me just for liking a post. And I'll be like, wow, I, I should like bar down breakdown. And, you know, that's how, that's how it goes. That's how we end up taking over the world. And that's how Dude, we end up talking about taking over the world. Ass, you know, every once in a while I do go and check like the, the hockey podcast charts. Yeah. They do exist. And <laughs> pretty much spitting chicklets has been number one. For years, like I have not yep. seen them move from that one number one spot. And this past week, when I checked, um, there is a new number one. And I, I do think it is like a related podcast. I think it is like kind of a branch off from the Spitting Chick- Chicklets podcast. But either way, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy to see them kind of moved out of that top spot. And I'm sure it's driving them crazy. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, what, what number are, are we, you know, where are we like, we bounce around We're we're usually we're on the charts. All right. So. so that's look, we're on the charts, which means that, you know, you, all you listeners out there, next step for you is to keep listening so that we can keep bouncing up the charts. And that's what you're going to do. And that's what you're here to do today with us right now. But you're not here to listen to us be ridiculous. That's not what you're here for. You're here for this interview that we've got coming up with Carver. So sit back, relax, enjoy some good-ass hockey talk, music talk like we always provide you. And we will see you on the other side. I'm standing
Hey, old friends. Uh, we're in here doing the dang thing with uh, with our boy Carver from Isle Seed Podcast. Man, what's going on? Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Uh, let's just jump right the hell into it, man. So uh, we tell everyone we're not an Islanders podcast. Uh, today, <laughs> we are absolutely an Islanders podcast. So um, the thing that's on everyone's mind is... Uh, what is taking Lou so long? So, uh, you know, what do you think is on the horizon for us, man? First of all, guys, uh, good to be with you, uh, Mikey, Tom. Uh, nice to be uh, be involved here. And yeah, um, what's taking him so long? That's a good question. I, I guess the way you got to look at it, guys, is something like this that he's trying to pull off. Um, it takes some time uh, because he's got two contracts that he really needs to get fitted in. Of course, those are the RFAs of, of Barzi and, uh, and Pulak. And it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle right now. You know, there's only so much money to go around. And in order for him to be able to get those two pieces to fit into this salary cap puzzle, he needs to shift and move some things. And it seems like right now, um, there really isn't takers. It seemed like a couple of weeks ago there was going to be a taker maybe for Johnny Boychuk's salary, or there maybe could be a taker for you know the three and a half million bucks that Leo Komarov makes or something. But um, things have definitely slowed to the point where um, you know this might have to wait a little while. Um, and the, the thing is, I don't think that you were getting any you know outside additions, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, did you guys say? I mean, there wasn't going to be any you know big splashy outside addition because the cap wasn't going up. Yeah. You clearly have some guys that are signed for a while. You knew you have to take care of this Barzy thing and this Bullock thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Taves thing. Look, it's a movie had to make. Yeah. Because think if he was trying to fit that in to this mess as well, you know, yeah. it just does, it just doesn't work. So he ha- he's got some pieces that still have to be moved around and it might take a little bit longer than people like for him to be able to do that. Yeah, and, you know, you have to think, you know, what, where is the disconnect between, like, Barzi's a- agent and, and Lou Lamorello? Like, are we thinking Barzi is a $9, 10000000 million player? Yeah. Because that, that's, I, I, don't, I, yeah. I, I don't know as a fan <laughs> if I'm willing to do that. I, I think that he does believe uh, that he is. I think that he believes he should be paid similarly to what, We've seen in the RFA mode the last couple of years what uh, Mitch Marner was paid and what, uh, you know, also about, he, he thinks that he should be probably paid among those guys. Now, I think everybody has to take um, a couple of dollars off of what they thought they would normally get going into an offseason like this um, with so much uncertainty. You have a pandemic, you have a situation where season finished without fans in a building, uh, you know, things like that. So money isn't what it was a year ago in the National Hockey League. I think that he definitely wants 10. Um, I think he's going to, I think it's, it's, this is the tricky part about it. Do you, if you're Barzy, do you take, let's say, eight or something like that for only three years? You know, you do one of those short, bridge deals and then you're going to be back in the situation again a couple of years from now or do you, you know 
Do the Isles find a way to get in closer to a number that he wants for a longer term deal? I don't think he's not going to be an Islander. I think that nobody's going to offer sheet him. I think that this is something that is going to go possibly till whenever training camp is going to be. And that's the other wrinkle that's involved here. Normally, we know when this uh, stuff starts at the end of June and July 1st, we know that you have until the second week in September before training camp gets going that you want to get this done. Right now, you don't know how long you have. You don't know when the season is starting. So there, there really isn't this pressing need other than, you know, the fans obviously want it. You want this thing to be done. But from Lou's side of things, there isn't a pressing need right now because you don't even know when the season is starting. So that that's where it becomes very tricky. But in terms of what I think that Barzi's going to want, I think Barzi thinks he's worth what the other elite forwards in this league are getting paid. Uh, I'm not so sure if he's necessarily worth that yet. And he's going to use the argument that, well, my numbers aren't as good because I play for you. You know, that that that's what he's going to say. Look what my numbers were when uh, Doug Waite was allowing us to play pond hockey. You know, he's going to he's going to basically tell you, take a look there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he's going to want 10. I don't know if he's going to get 10. I think he might have to do a shorter deal. But yeah, he think he I think he wants 10 plus. No doubt. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and you know, you you think he's our our next franchise player, so that you know, especially with the ownership and building a new arena, like they're going to be putting pressure on Lou to just make this happen as well. And you you think things are going to work out? I I I can't see them not. But I I was yeah. listening to your latest episode, and you know you you dropped your episode in what middle of october a, cu- a couple of weeks ago couple yeah of weeks it's, ago. it's been quiet i like to wait for things to happen, especially when you get to this time of year yeah um it's hard to just uh you know during the season you can go every week you could get there's always something to talk about when you get into this time season ends uh it's a little harder every week uh to go at it so i, I when i did that last one in the middle of october you know six is it probably a couple beginning of october whatever it is right now we're at the end of october yeah, it's crazy. so <laughs> i was yeah it goes fast dude like so i was basically thinking that was right when the rumors were like so hot that like oh you know they're gonna trade boycheck in the next couple of days and they're gonna move this money around and, and it never happened and so i was just like I'm just going to wait for something for something else to happen pretty much is how well, I operate. <laughs> something did kind of happen. And I know it's not like breaking news, but based on, you know, the last episode, it was when all those guys were going to file for arbitration. Right. And, like randomly, Josh Hosang filed for arbitration where we yeah. kind of thought that like he would have just kind of went on to the KHL or went over to Europe and tried playing over there for a couple of years. So that was kind of surprising. And then they struck a deal. So, yeah. like, I'm sure you were probably thinking that you were done saying his name, but do you think he's going to be sticking around next year or this coming season? Yeah, you know, the saga of Josh Hosang <laughs> with the New York Islanders, you just, every time that you think the book is, like, finally going to get closed, um, something like this happens. It's truly bizarre. Um. I don't know. I don't see any way that he's a part of the main uh, NHL roster. I mean, take a look. Uh, where's he playing? Who's who's who are you bumping out? I, I just and I know that Josh has his um, 
he has his fans. Uh, there are people who believe that he has never been given uh, the rightful opportunity one way or the other. Uh, people believe that. Um, and uh, I don't. I just don't see it. I, I don't see how he plays for the Islanders. Now, if he wants to come and once again try to restart the clock with this organization and show up and do big things at the AHL level and give himself a chance. It sounds to me, especially when you listen to the agent the other day, put out the statement after they came to the terms, sounds to me like he, he wants to be in the NHL. Like he had offers to go and play in Europe. I don't think he's going to be in the NHL with the Islanders. Maybe there is something here where he needs to have a, a camp where people could see him again or, or a couple of games. I, I think there might be a path to the NHL for this guy. I just, all these with the Islanders. It, it is bizarre, though. I really thought that the cut, the cord was finally cut. You know, when he goes and plays for the uh, the Blues AHL team for basically nothing, you you would think that uh, things were finally over. Look, you want the guy to do well, like Josh. Just things haven't worked out. And a guy like him, I've said it for like three years now. A guy like Hosang needs a fresh slate in the absolute worst way. Not saying anything about you know what he does off the ice. Forget that garbage. This guy needs a new opportunity, a new organization, a new chance somewhere else. And I think that as long as he's here, it's, there's always going to be some kind of thing. I mean, he divides the fan base. He does, <laughs> it, it's just there always is going to be something. He needs a fresh start somewhere, and I hope he eventually gets it because I, I it, it's not going to happen here with the Islanders, even after this little – uh, coming together that they've had with the with the arbitration case, I, I just don't see it. I don't see where it plays. Yeah, I I just had to ask because I know you've been talking about him for years, and I know that I can't <laughs> believe I'm still talking. About him. <laughs> I just can't believe it, and I'm not. In the past, I've been so um, you get frustrated with it because there's so there's such extremes mm-hmm. when it comes to Josh Hosang and how some fans feel about him. There are legitimately fans who think that he's the greatest prospect in the history of hockey. Like they're just, and I'm not, I'm it's a small percentage. You know, the problem is, is like on social media and on Twitter and things like that. There's so many opinions that get flooded uh, and they flood your timelines and they flood your mentions and they flood about, and you have to sometimes take a step back and go, all right, there's a lot of people here that are saying some crazy things and they think this guy is so good. But you have to also remember that the people that you're talking to right now on this medium or this platform probably only represent like 3% of the entire fan base. Like you just have to sometimes just take take that step back and go, everybody doesn't really believe this, but there are some people who think he was the, you know, just this enormous prospect that was completely screwed and never given any chance to do anything. And to me, that's just not the case at all. I think they're just pulling for straws, man. Like, you know, if you think about some of our, offensive prospects there's not that many yeah and maybe that's kind of why he his name keeps being brought up because there's no one else to really talk about like you know we got Kiefer bellows who's getting his hand slapped for performance enhancing yeah. drugs and yeah, we ain't happy with him he's got a long hill to climb back now you yeah. can hear lou, lou was not happy with what bellows did um no, the prospect pool isn't isn't that large. I mean, no. the the, na- the number one name now is obviously Oliver Wallstrom. He's the, when you talk forwards, you know, when you talk yeah. forwards, Wallstrom's at the top with Bellows right there. 
Uh, and then there's a few other guys that you could mix in. And Hosang had been in that mix for a while, but now we're talking multiple, multiple drafts now with new, you know, talent that's come in. Um, I don't know, guy. I just, uh, I don't see it. I, I, I think he probably, you know, there was that report. Remember, they said he was going to go play in the KHL. Yeah. I noticed that he's going over the KHL, which ended up not being true. I actually think that that would have been good for him. Me too. I, I just think he, he just needs to play um consistently in a new place that's what that guy needs not in bridgeport not with the islanders not with it he needs to go and play somewhere brand new fresh slate that's what that dude needs yeah well let's let's kind of shift this because we could we could talk islanders all day but yeah we want to talk mike carver and oh wow come on there's not much to talk there. no there, there's plenty to talk about because honestly you know and i'm, I'm gonna I'm going to, you know, fill your, fill your head a little bit, you know, don't do that. What, what you have done for the Islanders fan base has just been fantastic. And, you know, especially for people that live in New York, when you tune in to sports radio, you don't hear them talking about New York Islanders and having a show like ILC podcast. And honestly, I didn't even know what a podcast was until the ILC podcast. And like, (laughs) actually having a show that talks about our team and like you know your shit like it was just like holy cow i can't believe this exists and it's just been so fun and you know as as an islander fan we can all thank you for teaming up with brian compton and getting this thing going for us man and i know that you are riding solo now which i want to talk about because i don't know how the hell you do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i know you have have your guests but how do you how do you record those intros and outros by yourself is beyond me like that's 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 world class my friend well listen thank you uh, uh, let me go with the first part first obviously you know look we started that show me and b comp because like you said there nobody cares about hockey let's be fair it's a it's it's a small passionate uh niche Fan base, it's it's not you know uh, the NFL, it's not baseball, it's it's not the NBA, um, it's a major sport, um, but it does not have the fan bases of those other sports. But the fan base that it does have is, in my eyes, and it is the most passionate. No questions about it. The hockey fan is the most passionate fan out of all the sports um, in America. It, it just is. So. When you look at the landscape, especially in New York uh, City, nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about hockey. They don't care. So, you know, me and B-Comp, we, we were kind of doing separate things. You know, uh, B-Comp obviously has worked for NHL.com for a long time. And he was doing the Point Blank podcast at SNY. I was doing some shows for um, Hockey This Week Network, including the Butch Goring show. So I was doing a good show with Butch Goring from the Paramount in Huntington. Uh, me and Butch were doing a show there, and I forget after which season it was. I mean, this is gone. This is years now. Um, you know, that kind of wasn't going to be coming back the next year. B Comp was doing it with Christian Arnold, who was who took a job somewhere, so he was moving. And me and B Comp had always been tight, um, so B Comp asked me to join him on the SNY show, and so we did that for a couple of years. But you know, we we couldn't do it really how we wanted to do it. They were great. The the SNY people were awesome. It's just that 
it was kind of whenever they could do it. So there would be sometimes stretches of two or three weeks during the season where a lot of things would go on, but me and BCOM couldn't get in there and do the show. So eventually, after one season, we, we just got to, it was 2017, whatever, uh, I think if I got that right. Um, you know, we, we just said at the end of one season, let's try to do this ourselves. We think that we can pull it off. And we think that we have a bit of a following. So let's try to, you know, we'll break away from these guys. They were excellent. They understood. Uh, they were totally cool. Nobody was mad at anybody. And we just started doing the show on our own that summer. And uh, it was awesome. And, and, the, and the thing that made the show good in my eyes and why I thought it, it clicked so good is because you had two very different ways to attack the team. So you had B-Comp, who covers the team, had been covering them for a long time, had that, you know, inside access, that knowledge of all the guys. And then you had me, who's coming from a sports talk radio background. I'm working at WFAN, doing things like that, that, uh, you know, coming from not, not just a straight fan perspective, but somebody who wanted to bring a little bit of, you know, entertainment to it, like, like if you were listening to WFAN and they actually were talking about the Islanders, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> nobody does. Yeah. So that was where we meshed those two things together and it worked and it was awesome. It worked out great. And the fans are, are, are unbelievable and they gravitated to it because it's something that they didn't have. And, and it, that's what made the show so awesome. And, um, Listen, the show was great because people, you know, people were into it and people wanted to be on it. And we started doing fan calls and we started doing things like that. And we tried to make the show for the fans. That's what it was about. And uh, it was awesome. And it just sucked. It sucked to be combat leave. <laughs> yeah, know? it just that was the hard, the hard part because we did one year, did one year of the show, me and him, 40 episodes. And the show was tremendous, and I thought, and everything was going great. And unfortunately, he had to pull out of it, um, you know, for reasons that you know have been kind of documented. It just is what it is, you know. With work, he just he couldn't do it anymore. Um, and we tried to press on, and we we've done what we can, and I think it's uh, it's worked out pretty good. I think. Oh, absolutely! Like you didn't miss a step. I'm just wondering how many times did you re-record that intro the first time doing it by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I, the first time. When I decided to stick with it and do it on my own, which I, I was really back and forth for those two months. Yeah, uh, I, I think I said it in that first episode when, that I did without Becom. I, I kind of said it. I was like, I, I didn't really want to. I don't know. I just didn't know if I wanted to do it by myself. And I, it was so, there was such good chemistry with me and Becom doing it together that I, I wasn't sure I wanted to go down that route. And what would I do? You know. I mean, I, I had credentials. I could go to the, to the thing, but I don't know. I, I don't have time to do that stuff. I work a lot. Becom brought that kind of access. Um, so after thinking about it a while, I did it. So the first couple of times, I would say, yeah, you know, there was probably a few that I I would start and have to you know, <laughs> shut it down and go back and and start again, or, you know, I had access, obviously, to some pretty good studio equipment working at the fan, too, so um, that helped along, and, um, but now, my, now when I do it, um, believe it or not, I mean, 98% of the time, it's one take, it's just one, I just, I just, <laughs> I just roll through the whole thing now, because it's become this kind of old hat, and I just turn on, you know, I hit the button, and I go, 
and I just try to to get the whole thing done. So that's kind of how it happens now. But the first couple times, yeah, first couple times, sure, there was a few, uh, there was a few starts and stops. That's for sure. Unbelievable. So I guess uh, you hinted at you know the the origins, I guess, and I guess it's like the Kevin Bacon seven degrees of separation, like you mentioned doing point blank and then like when you think yeah. point blank you also think chris botta right and like it's as as islander fans documented like gart snow took his credentials away like right when, when you started the show and you know you're the more vocal of the two hosts were you ever like worried that like maybe the islanders would take your credentials away if you said anything kind of negative about the team uh you know i tried you try not to think of that stuff. For me, honestly, it was more, I didn't want B-Comp to get in trouble, yeah. you know? That, that was really where the more side that I wanted to lean on. Like, there would be times, because you got to remember, at that time, when we were doing the show at SNY, that was like, you talk about the dark ages, especially to how good the Islanders are now. You're talking about the time when um, you're coming off of, oh, well... We're talking about the year now. The year before where they just missed the playoffs was okay. You know, that was when Capuano got fired. Wade came on, and they had that big surge and just came up short at the end. So you're you're thinking that there's a little bit of optimism. The following year was the real bad year. Yeah, that's the snow where, must go stuff. And the that, oh, yeah. And that, was the, that. that was the – and that year was hard because you have to be honest. You have to be truthful about what's going on. You know, the team isn't playing well. The team is being managed poorly. You need to be honest about it. You can't hold back. And and there was times, I know that B-Comp, I'm not going to put him in a bad spot. I know that there's only some things that he can say. So I would sometimes, ha- you know, yeah, I would kind of say some of the things <laughs> that had to be said for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no question about it. I think, you know, I don't think there was really any time um, where anybody said anything. There may have been one, but <laughs> there really wasn't any time where anybody said, like, can you, can you, you know, what are you guys doing or anything like that? There wasn't any of it. Um, and, and I'm not – and. And that's kind of, I think, also where you have to look at it. For, you got to be realistic, too. Um, you don't want to go too over the top. You don't just want to scream and yell for the sake of screaming and yelling. You know, if there's something that you're, you're passionate about that the team was doing, which at that time the team was so awful, you had to be passionate about it. You had to say, what are these guys doing? It's just a train wreck. Um, but, yeah, there was, there was a couple times where I would say to myself in my head, I, you know, I got to be a little bit careful here. I don't want to get B-comp you know, completely sandbagged and things like that. Nothing in turn, but nobody ever said anything to me. That's for sure. Awesome. Yeah. You, you, I, I was always curious about that. Cause you know, you guys were kind of a, a branch off of the point blank stuff and you know, yeah, it, yeah, we were, well, look, I mean, when B started doing it, the point blank, he did it long before I was, you know, was doing it and I was doing the other thing and he was doing that. Um, uh, you know, I, I never, I, I mean, Chris was out of it by then. It was B-Comp and, and Christian Arnold doing it when I took Christian's spot when he moved on. And we were only at SNY. I think it was two years, maybe a year and a half, two years that we did the show there before we decided to to start our own thing. 
And starting our own thing was the, was a great move that we made. Uh, the show, it, it really was the right move to do. Absolutely. And, you know, as Islander fans, we're, we're thankful that you did it. Now, and there's and there's a lot of great. Listen, there's and, and there's a, so many great uh, Islander shows now that oh, have been. Dude, I say it all the time. Just, we're, we're spoiled. You know, yeah. it, it. You went from really. I mean, when me and B Comp were doing, um, you know, when we were doing SNY, uh, there wasn't as many uh, going around. Whether it be, I mean, obviously Dan Saracini was all has always been doing really good stuff. Um, you know, he was in the mix. He's great. Um, the guys at, um, I forget the one, the one podcast, but there's, there was a couple in the mix and now you've got a ton. I mean, you've got Islander podcasts and Islander shows. Uh, you've got and all the Islander content Islanders you could possibly want. You got, ton, you got a ton. You got non-Islander podcasts like that this are one. Islander podcasts you have, kind you of have, at the same time. <laughs> you have so much stuff now to go to. Um, it, you've got kind of, you could sit in your car all day and listen to, to, to just Islander, Islander related podcasts and shows. So it's a pretty cool thing that it's developed into. Absolutely. So I, I got, I guess I want to even like peel back the curtain a little bit more onto Mike Carver, because I've been listening to the show pretty much since day one, but personally don't know too much about the man behind the mic. So well, we like it that way i mean that's the idea you don't want it <laughs> well I, i'm i'm calling the shots so all right you can call the shots so carver you are a long island guy right correct so you grew up an islander fan grew up absolutely um my dad took me to the nassau coliseum when i was six years old 1986 islanders canadians was the game. Uh, I'm so jealous of people that can remember that kind of stuff because <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> I remember uh, who they were playing. I, I remember all that. And uh, immediately, uh, favorite player uh, in the late 80s there was, was Pat LaFontaine. He was my guy. And he'll always be. You know, that, here's the, you, know you, you have favorite players, you know, things like that. But, and I don't know if you guys will agree with me or not. It, the, those first favorite players that you like grab onto when you're a kid, those are always your favorite player for the rest of your life. Like you get older now, like you have favorite players per se, guys that you love rooting for. But that special, you know, first guy that was your guy when you were a kid, uh, I don't think there's ever anybody for the rest of your life who can pass that guy. Not for me, at least. There just isn't. <laughs> You know, and that was Pat LaFontaine for me. You know, it was Pat LaFontaine in hockey. It was Don Mattingly, the Yankees. It was, you know, Jim Kelly with the Bills. So there was like all these guys you grabbed onto when you were, you know, nine, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And then that was it for me. There was never anybody who could top those guys. But then like, as you actually start to develop like knowledge of hockey, right? The Islanders go into like the darkest of dark times. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, you know, I was 13 for the 93 run and I remember it very well. Uh, but I was a kid, you know, you, you know, that's the one thing, you know, you do, it's like the flip of what I just said. Like you, you grab onto those favorite players when you're really young, but it's when you get older, when you get a little bit more invested, you know, as a fan in, in terms of the team, you know, and you, and you get, uh, really locked in and, and, and everything is an event 
Um, and everything is huge. So when you're 13, you don't have, it's, it's like, this is cool. The Islanders are doing well. They're close to the cup, you know, something like that. Like you just experienced, you know, a month ago when we're all a little bit older, it has a little bit of a different feel to it. You know, like you're like, this is, I don't know how many more of these I'm going to see. This is so huge that the Islanders are, you know, five wins away or six wins away from winning a Stanley cup. It's such an enormous event, but you're right. Mid nineties to late nineties. When I'm a teenager, uh, the Islanders absolutely suck. Uh, I mean, they're, you know, they're awful. Uh, you know, they, the, the, you know, the jerseys obviously is always the symbolic thing that everybody loves to point to. The Millberry days. I mean, there were guys that there are still guys though because I was young. There were guys that I I loved from that era. I mean, I love Ziggy Palfy because <laughs> because of that he era. He was that, even on the team. Like he was uh, only you know, what. A year, couple, a year and a half, couple, two years, couple years, couple years. Ziggy's there, but like, and there was always like the the next huge, you know, this guy's gonna save the franchise. Whether it was Eric Fischel, and he's like, there's these guys that were all gonna come and save the team. Uh, but I remember, and that's when like probably ninety eight, ninety nine, like you know, eighteen, nineteen. Um, you start going to, that's when you like, you start going to games by yourself. Like you're not going with your family anymore. Like dad isn't taking me like he was when I eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Now, you know, you're 17, 18, 19, you're actually spending your own money that, you know, you're working some job when you're a kid and you're using your money to go to see this awful Islander team <laughs> play at the Coliseum. I lived 10 minutes from there. And there was a lot of nights in that building watching some really awful hockey as a teenager. Um, but you know, you wouldn't give stuff like that up because it was an unbelievable time. That's for sure. And then I guess like just following the timeline, then comes the 2001 season. Yeah. And nine yes, eleven was that very like, invested, was very that invested in the, yeah. the most memorable Islanders season for you. Um, it's definitely in the top, three or four, you know, it's definitely in the top three. Um, and if you, if you just take out the last five years, then, you know, it's probably for me. Yeah. Because I think still at 13 for the 93 run, as cool as it was, um, you, like I said, when you're that young, you don't have the investment that you have when you're older. So I'm at that point, I'm 21. Uh, when the, when that little, when the, when that big Islander rebirth starts to happen where that they make trades for Yashin and they make trades for Pekka and they get Chris Osgood and they get, you know, they, they start to assemble this team that gets out to a great start. Laviolette, the coach, there was a lot of stuff, very memorable stuff from that season, including obviously um, the beginning of it, which was very tragic here in, in the New York area. But I remember that seven gamer with Toronto, because that was my first, you know, as a, as a quote unquote adult, you know, what kind of, as much of an adult as you can be at 21, 22 years old, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I remember that, um, being so invested in that series and going to the home games and the, the, the road games. And that's obviously games one, two and, and, uh, five and seven on the road. You know, those were such appointment events. We had to watch the game and we had, to, you know, it was just, that was a, a, a real, you know, the first time I'd experienced something like that as an Islander fan because I didn't have that in 93 or 94 because you're, you know, you're still a kid at that point. So that was a very big first experience for me as an Islander fan. And 
uh, memorable series that unfortunately ended the wrong way. Yeah. What, you know, and I'm sure if you talk to a bunch of the the players on that team, they, they feel they, they must feel like they, they could have won the cup that year. Like the talent that they had. And like, if Pekka didn't get hurt, like who knows what could have happened. Yeah. I I remember, uh, me and BCOM talked to Scatcherd, uh, a couple of years ago, you know, while we, while we were doing the show and, and Scatcherd definitely felt same way like you guys. And we've talked to Parrish a couple of times too. You know, there, there definitely are guys on that team that feel, uh, you know, things could have gone a little bit differently if they could have got through Toronto. That was a very, uh, wide open year, uh, in the Eastern conference. Uh, it was definitely some, some room there for them. If they could have got out of that series, uh, you know, I think that Toronto like played Ottawa or something like that next to what, you know, who also upset somebody, you know, there was, there was some space there for them to maybe make a little bit of a run. So it's definitely, uh, you look back on it and wish it would have worked out a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. So we, we, we talk hockey, but we also talk music on this podcast. So All right. when, when I'm also kind of piecing together, you know, kind of where you were say in high school, you know, this yep. is mid to late nineties when you were in high school. Oh yeah. That's kind of like the birth of the alternative music that Tom and I talk about on this podcast. Oh yeah, baby. And you you, listen, no doubt. (laughs) Yeah. So like, you know, it might not be like the knuckle pucks and the real friends and and those kind of bands that we talk about all the time, but you know, you got the, the Pearl jams, the Bush, you know, Rage Against the Machine, like all of these bands are blowing up in the mid nineties when you were in high school. And like yeah. you you were in high school the same time as my brother was. So like I kind of like am thinking about like what my brother was listening to. Mm-hmm. And that kind of movement when you were in high school, like tell us about it. Like what what were some of the things that we yeah. you know, some of the bands that you were really into at that time that, you know, were on heavy rotation on your Walkman <laughs> or your discman uh- at the time? Uh, dude, it's I love this stuff because th- I I love and cherish uh, the music that I grew up with in the '90s. Um, it, it it's just uh, here's where it kind of started for me. Believe it or not, first band that I really loved and I first album I had, uh, twelve years old, 1992. Um, Use your illusion to Guns and Roses first oh. album. Uh, just an absolute, I mean, think about that 12 years old, use your illusion too. uh, you know, the first one that, that you dive into and, uh, guns was, was, was the first band as a kid. I just, I loved it, man. It was just, it was loud. It was crazy. Uh, it was tough trying to get around, you know, my mother, cause she didn't want you listening to appetite for destruction when you were 12 or 13 years old. That's for <laughs> sure. So yeah. there was some little work to do, uh, on that, but you know, that was right before the boom that you were just talking about was about to happen. Like that was just kind of at the end. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm 13, 14 years old. That's when Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, STP, yep. all starts blowing up, Seattle scene, all that. And I was completely in the mix with all of it. Uh, you know, junior high, high school, absolutely loved it. Um, big on Nirvana, loved, I've listened to Nevermind, you know, 600 times, the, you know, a, a month, <laughs> like everybody else when it first came out. Yeah. I think that out of all those bands, 
I probably pushed like STP kind of to the front. I, I think core probably got the most listens uh, out of me <laughs> in, the, in the early to mid nineties than anything else. I wasn't as big on Pearl Jam at the beginning. I love Pearl Jam now. I wasn't as big on Pearl Jam when they first came out. I didn't grab Pearl Jam till like the early 2000s and start to really listen to them a little bit more and get into it more. But I had a shift where I was into that stuff in the early 90s, loved those bands, moved into a little bit more metal um, okay. in, in, into like the into like my junior, senior high school years, which would be about, you know, 96, 97, 98. And I was uh, just uh, Pantera was my mm-hmm. was my band, man. I mean, they're you know, I put them right right in the mix, saw them a bunch of times in the mid 90s. Um, so into it. And Pantera tore the cover off. And then at the end of the 90s, it was such, uh, 90s were so weird. You had so many different shifts in that 10-year period. You went from those Seattle grunge bands, and then I went, you know, they kind of were there for a little bit. And then it shifted into that Limp Biscuit, Corn, mm-hmm. um, you know, Stained, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Kind of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and then, so, the, oh, Incubus, who I love as well. So it started to get into that you know, in the 98, 99 region of the 90s. So there was so many shifts of music for me. And I even loved, listen, man, I, I even loved the, even the, the slower down of the rock, you know, the oasises and things like that. Yeah. Um, I was into that stuff too. But the Seattle scene was huge for me. And then, you know, moved a little bit of metal with Pantera. And then I finished it off with, uh, in that decade with, with plenty of corn and Limp Bizkit and stuff like that. So I, I ran the gamut. Of all of those things in the nineties, <laughs> no, I, I, and I, I kind of hope that um, the NHL kind of sees this this correlation between you know it it being a quote unquote niche sport and you know alternative music being kind of in its own niche. I mean, I would love you know the the inaugural Kraken season to be really heavy with uh, you know that that Seattle music scene. You know, like I'd right. love to hear like you know. Nirvana or Pearl Jam, you know, or, 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 you know, Soundgarden or, you know, anything on the, on the West coast over there, you know, as, as goal songs, as like, you know, pump up songs. Like, yeah. I, think that, I think that that would be a, a great thing just to, again, marry the two together. But, you know, it's so funny because alternative music is such a broad term in the nineties because, oh yeah. so you think about like the bands were just talking about your, your Nirvana's, your, you know, your, uh, Alice in Chains and all, you know, all these great grunge bands, but like you also like, kind of wild to think that alternative music would also be bands like smashing pumpkins and the counting crows and yep. like all of these other bands that were not necessarily as, as, as heavy and loud, but then there were like, you know, some other bands that kind of flew under the radar that were just as important, you know, bands like, uh, you know, like Sonic youth and like, you oh, know, yeah. all these which is, which was what I considered real alternative, like, the yeah, music, like exactly. bands, like bands, like Sonic youth, you know, those were the bands that, I considered quote unquote alternative. Now they, they called everything alternative of in course. the nineties, like yeah. everything, like those, those were those Nirvana's and the Pearl Jam. That was grunge rock. That, yes. that was grunge. That was yep. not alternative music. I know they put it on 120 minutes on MTV and they tried to <laughs> package it as this is alternative music, but it wasn't, that was grunge rock Sonic youth. That was alternative. You know, people mm-hmm. even put, you know, like Liz fair in alternative, like, they, yep. like there's just, you know, things like that, that was alternative to me. And I probably put the, pump. people kind of put the pumpkins with that, 
Um, I think the pumpkins are such a tweener right there. Yeah. In, in between the Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and that alternative mix. But I'd probably lean them a little bit more towards the alternative side. Yeah, um, I'd agree sure. with that. I, you know, and the the crazy thing about the pumpkins is they're you know they're still making music. I mean, yeah, they're coming out with a new record. I think in like they put a record like out a couple so. years ago. I actually really liked it. Um, and I had it's been a while since I. Corey, uh, Corey had done a couple things, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, this isn't too great." Yeah, Swan and like all that. Weird Swan stuff. was awful. I mean, that that <laughs> was just he did a bad job with that. But what was the name of that album? Uh, Oceana in twenty twelve. Yeah. I have my uh, phone in front of me, so I'm able yeah, to yeah, get yeah. it up quickly. Oceana was a great record. He did a good job with that. So, but then there was ones like uh, Zygast and then the Swan record. Like that sucked. I mean, yeah. it was just awful. But Billy, yeah. that guy's he's a magician. He knows what he's doing too. He is. And I mean, you know, and, and playing drums all my life, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Chamberlain is just like one of those uh, guys you, you pattern yourself after because, you know, he just beats the crap out of his drums. And, yeah. uh, and, but like, <laughs> but that's some of the stuff that, you know, I loved and, and we're very fortunate, uh, you know, Mikey and I are you know, at, at the age we are where we, you know, kind of, you know, punk music became something that was a little bit more accessible and, you know, you, you started to have your your pop punk, you know, your Green Day and your Offspring, right. Blink-182 and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, those bands wouldn't have even had that opportunity if it weren't for some of these alternative yeah. bands it, kind of paving the way um, for for those bands to, to actually get popular. And then when you look into the next breed of things, you know, your Fall Out Boys and your Paramours right. and all these bands, right. they wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for you know, for when I come around or, you know, all the yeah. small things or, um, but, uh, one of the things that we we've talked about a lot and we even ran a poll on it just a, a couple of days ago was, um, you know, the NHL soundtracks for, for uh, all the video games that they oh put two. out. Oh, two. So, I mean, and Oh, two was number was one, but oh, so the interesting thing about Oh, one. And, um, so when NHL Oh, one came out, I'm pretty sure I had it for I want to say PS one. I think it might've been like one of the last games I ever got for PS one. Cause I think like, Oh, when Oh two came around, I think they were starting to make the transition into, um, you know, PS two and different consoles. But I remember having Oh one. And I remember that was the first time I had ever listened to collective soul, uh, because that song heavy was on there. And like, right. you know, that's like that collective soul song that everyone knows. Um, and I remember being very much like, at that point, I was just starting to get into punk music, and I had this like very trivial like way of thinking about myself, where I was like, I can only like punk music because anything else is lame and not punk, and I don't want to be not punk. So I remember like loading up NHL 01 and like listening to that Collective Soul song and like really loving it, yeah, like loving it, like wanting to listen to the intro multiple times. Great tune because because like I wouldn't <laughs> put it on like my like SanDisk MP3 player because like, God forbid, like one of the older kids in high school saw that I was listening to Le Collective Soul and not, you know, yeah. Pennywise or something. You didn't something. want to get, yeah, you didn't want to get banished. You no, know, and, you know, this guy, look at this guy. Listen yep, to Collective you, Soul. You get never, out want, of here. never want that. But then, <laughs> a, but a lot of the, the guests that we've had that we've talked, um, you know, about the correlation between music and hockey, a lot of them have said the same thing. It's, you know, when you, you know, you have kids, all these people that grew up hockey fans, they grew up loving hockey. And then they, you hit a certain age where you start to get into music. And then all of a sudden hockey isn't cool anymore. Right. Because, oh, it's a, you know, it's a professional sport and these guys get paid too much and, you know, damn the man. And then all of a sudden you just, or maybe you're not that way. Maybe you just get so into music that like, you just don't have the time to, you know, put on the game or turn on sports center or whatever it is. 
And then, you know, time goes by and then you finally realize that you can like more than one thing. Like you can yeah. be a musician, you know, even a professional musician and still like hockey and still like all this stuff. So that's like one of the big revelations that we've had is that almost everyone that we've talked to has had that gap period. So for you, did, like, even though, you know, did you ever find yourself like having a gap period with either music or hockey where you got into one kind of deeper than the other and you just sort of let the other one take a back seat or did that really never kind of happen for you? It, it actually, and I'm, I'm probably in the minority. It never happened for me, but I'll tell you why. I mean, music has always been such a huge thing to me. I've always loved music and been so into it, but it's the same thing with hockey. Like I've never strayed like from one or the other. And, and, you, and I could say, you know, just my career, basically I did two careers and they were both uh, music. I ran a record store for uh, six years, seven years, whatever it was, before I then completely changed careers and got into sports talk radio. Wow. So, I, I mean, I, I music has always been such a big thing for me. And hockey's always been there since I was a kid and sports in general. So those two things have never wavered for me. And I, But I do understand exactly what you're saying. Not everybody's like, I'm in the minority with something like that. Both of those things have always been huge to me and always been important. And you brought up the NHL soundtrack. I just, O2, which has, I believe, Lemieux on the cover. I think Lemieux was on the cover of O2. It had two songs from two bands that I had never heard before in my life. And I still listen to these two songs to this day. And that is Treble Charger, Brand New Low, unbelievable track on the NHL 2 soundtrack. And Gob, I Hear You Calling. Oh, two yeah. songs that are just unbelievable. I heard those on that video game and they have stayed with me ever since when I had obviously burned CDs of them in those days. And then when the digital age came, I have had the same MP3s on all of my iPhones and iPods of that treble charger and gob song since those days. But um, man, they, they used to put some absolute just bangers on those NHL sound. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Best. And it's funny you bring up you bring up Gob because they're uh, they're a Canadian band. They're oh uh, yeah, I think they're uh, British Columbia, if I'm not well, mistaken. One of my one of my five like five or six favorite bands of all time, Canadian band, uh, Our Lady Peace. Oh yeah, Love man, Absolutely. Our Lady Peace. They are uh, so big, and that they're kind of they kind of fall into that mid to late '90s alternative uh, kind of spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, and but they're still making records today. They've been making records for the last twenty years. Um, it's and they've changed their sound up a little bit. But I love uh, Canadian band Our Lady Peace, one of my favorites. And uh, I'm I, I'm just curious because you know I'm I'm Long Island born and raised. I, you know I live in Orlando now. But uh, what uh, what record store? Okay, so we started uh, at the. I think it was when I first started there. It was called, the name changed a few times. So I think it might have been a Coconuts. It was The Wall for a long time in Oceanside. Okay. The Wall in Oceanside, which eventually became Coconuts, which would then eventually become FYE. So in Oceanside is where I started. I would eventually uh, move to the Belmore store, where I would then move to the Elmont store. And then eventually I got moved to store manager of the Glen Cove store. So oh, wow. that was my. And that was all from like, like uh, 2000 till about uh, 07, that whole seven year period there. Uh, that's what I did. 
And um, yeah, I ended those last three or four years were all spent in uh, in Glencove running that store. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's dangerous, man. It's um, <laughs> you know, if you're a music lover, Listen, and you're- got a lot of dude. I got a lot of music uh, <laughs> those years, a lot of music, and I almost that's the one thing. Like, I, I'm glad that I made the move that I did, but the one thing that I've maybe lost a little over the past 12 or 13 years is I'm not as in tune with the new stuff that comes out now. I'm, I'm such a, I love music. I feel like now it's, you know, I have my pocket of stuff that I've been listening to my whole life, but I never really get to. That's why like, why like Mikey, like, you know, whatever it was a year or two ago, you know, sent me this, these playlists on Spotify mm-hmm. of all these somewhat newer uh, bands. Yeah. And I, and I just dove into it because it was, this was new stuff and it, and it was, and it, I got so into a lot of it. And I just feel like that's the one thing I've lost since I left that was that, uh, I don't get that, that taste of the new stuff. Like I used to get all the time working in that store. Absolutely. So real quick, um, you know, part of what is so important to Tom and I is going to like these small music venues to see some of the (laughs) bands that we love. But like all the bands that you like mentioned are like huge national acts. Right. So like you when you were in high school, you didn't have necessarily that experience, if I'm correct, right? Like yeah. if you wanted to see, you know, the Pearl Jams or the, you know, you know, the the sound gardens of the time, like where are you going to see them? Jones Beach or at the Coliseum? Right. Yeah. Like like I'll, the first concert I ever went to um 1996 16 years old uh nassau coliseum it was uh bush goo goo dolls and no doubt that was on the that was the bill uh that night at the coliseum and it took a few years before i I did go how about this one same year 16 years old that summer Lollapalooza 96 i went to that on randall's island guys listen listen to this lineup i was going mostly for metallica uh, mm-hmm. who somehow that was the strange year when Metallica somehow ended up on Lollapalooza. Uh, that was when they did the, uh, the, uh, the, the worst album they ever did. The, uh, the one with the orchestra. Oh, no, no. This so re- the, reload probably, it, right? No, it might've been load before load reload load, but the yeah. first, first load album. So they're on Lollapalooza and they, and Soundgarden was on the bill too. It was going more 16 year old kid, Soundgarden and Metallica. And you know who else was on the bill? And I obviously knew who they were, but I had never seen them before um, because a 16-year-old kid is what it is. Listen to these two acts I saw. The Ramones. The Ramones were at this Lollapalooza. It was unbelievable. Couldn't believe what I was watching. And um, Rancid. Oh, wow. I saw the Ramones and Rancid at Lollapalooza 96 when I was going to see Metallica and Soundgarden. I mean, just... uh, Really amazing, but but getting into the smaller venues, like that didn't really start happening until, um, you know, I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Like I saw, I saw Stained, Seven Dust, Incubus, bands like that. I saw in smaller venues before they got enormous. You know, I I didn't, you know, Roselands and the Irving Plazas and places like that. Even some smaller. I mean, we one night uh, I saw. Stained in Seven Dust. I don't remember the name of the place, but it it was like the size of the office that I'm in right now. I mean, it was like it was it was just really really small place. Didn't hold a lot of people. There's a there's uh, this lore about Stained. Um, 
uh, and I, I forget what the year was, but it was probably around the, the time of, you know, when, when Stain was really huge, they played uh, on the roof, I think, of... Oh, yeah, of Looney Tunes. Of Looney Tunes. And it was I remember so, that. It was so that. huge. Yep. If I remember correctly, like, the, like, they literally had to get, like, police and fire trucks because apparently, like, they had, like, something to the tune of, like, 2,500, 3,000 people trying to watch. Yeah. And they were I, just I remember flooding that. into the parking that lot of that Michaels. Isn't that yeah. insane? That's, yeah. I remember that uh, when that happened, uh, talking about it. It was, it was crazy. They, they, had, they shut the whole place down. Yeah. Uh, it was nuts. Yeah, that's uh, it. It is so wild, and 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 you know, to to kind of drive home Mikey's point, like it's you know, we my my first my very first show that you know I ever went to was a a stadium show as well. I saw um, Blink One Eighty Two, Newfound Glory at the at Jones Beach. But I remember my first uh, like club show. I went and saw you know one of my favorite bands still to this day, uh, Saves the Day. They're, you know, like a the, you know yeah, like a punk band. And, yeah, uh, Saves the Day. Love them, and uh, you know I I saw them at. Um, Oh, it's like um, it's like a betting place now. Uh, the Vanderbilt. That's what it's called. The Vanderbilt in uh, I think it was in like Plainview or something. And um, you know, we're talking two thousand. So I'm I was I think or two thousand one. I think I was fourteen. And um, you know, it's just you never forget that because the enormity of it all when you're so young and you're kind of thrust into this environment where like. You know, there's no seats. Everyone is just standing there. There are mosh pits. There's, you know, people stage diving. And you're just like, you're like, it's almost like you, I can't even find the words. Like I'm, I'm, I'm literally staring at my ceiling, trying to like <laughs> collect my thoughts about like how life-changing that was for me. And like, I don't want to make, you know, sound like pompous or stupid and be like, oh my God, it changed my life. But like, really, it, you know, that was like one of the first in a series of probably I don't know, thousands of shows that I've been to that like kind of set the tone for who I became as a person. So, you know, was there, you know, so you talk about Lollapalooza, which is awesome. And, and, you know, all of these shows that you had a, an opportunity to, to get to see, do you recall one particular show that like stood out for maybe being that like awakening for you that like, where you were just like, I can't get enough of this stuff. Yeah, you know, I saw I saw Pantero put on some live show. I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, the couple of times that I saw them at the Mid Hudson Civic Center, and uh, they basically tore the walls off the place. And I saw them at Roseland a couple times, which I know has been closed for a long time now. Yeah. I don't know if you guys ever got into Roseland. Yeah, I mean, it was, yep, yeah. it was it was it uh, was that was a wild place as well. A couple times seeing Pantera in Roseland, that was uh, just an amazing. <laughs> amazing experience and in terms of just experience this is not a small venue definitely not mm -hmm. but i was at uh woodstock 99 and oh, um, oh my that god was, dude i was gonna wrap up this conversation that but was, i need to hear about yeah. this well that was you talk about a weekend uh that was unbelievable woodstock 99 uh pillar to post get there thursday night it's it was as bad as any story or any you know show or anything you've ever heard about it it was that bad or worse um but and it's in the, rome new york right yeah it was it was like an eight hour drive yeah, it was so it like, was brutal like syracuse basically. and it was hot and there was just no shade and no water and no i mean it was it was a brutal scene but 
you know, there was like 50 bands on that, you know, on that set that whole weekend that, you know, you wanted to see or you loved. And um, I mean, man, I'll never never forget that weekend. I mean, even at the end, everything with the fires, uh, standing there watching the Chili Peppers, it was it was wild. And I drove home that night. I don't know how I didn't crash the car at least six times. (laughs) Drove home right from there because the place was burning down. Yeah, uh, and my car was about an hour away. You know, they made you park like you know so far from where the place actually was. They bust you in. Um, just an incredible weekend. Um, really was. Saw everybody I wanted to see though. That's for sure. Saw everybody. Uh, was it was a part of all the things that happened that weekend? Uh, you know the crazy uh the 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 ply boards with Limp Biscuit. Uh, you know the fires at the end with the Chili Peppers. Something that I'll never forget in my life. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of jealous that you got to experience that because, like, yeah, they have like multiple day festivals. Like, you know, y- you think about the bamboozles and then, like, even like the warp tours and things like that, but they never come up to like, you know, having 400,000 people at them. And they're, th- they're not like overnight festivals. Like, yeah, that, that was pretty much like music from morning to night, right? Oh, it was, yeah, definitely. Like, on the two main stages, uh, there was two huge stages when they were both, like, you know, two and a half miles apart from each other. You know, they were absolutely nowhere close to each other. So if you wanted to go back and forth, you were just, you were ruining your day. uh, But you had to really plan out, all right, we're going to see at least three or four bands on this side before we walk over to the other side, because that's, uh, you know, how it was. And we wanted to see a lot of bands on the smaller stage, so it worked out pretty good. But it was it probably went from like 11 in the morning to midnight on the two bigger stages. And then they had this little stage in the middle of the three miles that um, played some music a little earlier. And then there was like a rave tent. You know, everybody had the you know Chemical Brothers and stuff like that going in there they Had a rave tent that went from like midnight to 7 a.m. You know, so <laughs> that was that was blasting uh, throughout the night, too. It was it was nuts, dude. Crazy wild weekend yeah you just don't see i would never do it again i'm glad i did it it was an unbelievable experience i would never do something like that and yeah and i thought that way when i was 20 when i (laughs) i would never do this again (laughs) absolutely well carver you and i have little ones and i I could say that now yes yes so yes it is and i know you put your little one to to bed already but i need to go and relieve my wife for a little bit before I call it a night, but Carver, this was just so much fun. And I, I know that your ILC fans are going to appreciate this conversation to just kind of know a little more about the man behind the mic. And I love, I loved it. This was just so much fun. Look, it, uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it is, it's, I like talking about, like you said, I don't talk about stuff like this all the time. Nobody's, uh, you know, nobody's uh, asking my opinion about uh, Pantera ripping up the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in 1997. <laughs> so uh, believe me, I, I love, as you could tell, listening to me, I love talking about this stuff. This stuff is great. So I I thank you guys for uh, for having me here for a little while. And uh, and listen, uh, let's hope the Islanders uh, get things figured out. This is an Islander podcast, right? So we'll hope <laughs> the Islanders get things figured out. And uh, thanks again, guys, for having me. All right, man. Take care. Appreciate you. Patiently waiting, you're betting on me While I'm fading you carefully for company See the heart, it gets lonely It needs something sweet like a night full of
Back on the other side after that dope conversation with Carver. Super cool, man. It was really, really great to get to know him a little bit, get to talk about some of the origins of uh, <clears throat> of Isle Seat and, uh, you know, get to know a little bit more about, uh, you know, uh, all the alternative music he loves. I think it's really super cool. Um, you know, I, I just kept thinking about it as we were kind of doing the interview. You know, I, I know that, for you, some of what got you into, you know, the music that you listened to <clears throat> was, uh, didn't your, your brother made you like some tapes, like when you were like really younger of like some alternative music, right? He didn't necessarily make me tapes, but I always remember him getting like yelled at and getting in trouble from my mom, like trying to like <laughs> censor his music. And like, think back to, you know, my brother is six years older than me. So like when he yeah. was in high school, it was like, you know, 95 to, to 99 or whatever. Yeah, sure. When the actual, like, president of the United States was coming out and, like, talking to American families about, like, censoring music. And, like, that's when you started to see, like, the parental guidance sticker actually yeah, the P- on music. PMRC, man. Absolutely. You're, and, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I just remember my mom, like, rummaging through my brother's room and, like, trying to throw away all his music that had those parental warnings on him and like (laughs) obviously probably not the best parenting strategy because what does that make a you know 16 17 year old kid do like just get more of it and just get smarter and hiding it absolutely so like (laughs) so and to our younger audience, they don't even understand this conversation because they're probably like, yeah, I just have my music on my phone. Like, my parents have no clue what I listen to. But, like, this is obviously pre-phone days, pre, pre-internet pre days where you actually had to buy CDs. And Yeah, you, you had to go to this mythical place called Sam Goody. Yeah, Sam Goody right? or Coconuts or whatever, FYE <laughs> or whatever it may be. Yeah, and, and uh, you actually had to buy CDs and they were expensive. Yep. And you took them out of the plastic wrap, and sometimes you accidentally screwed up and got the edited version. <laughs> uh, one time, my mom got me the edited version of Limp Biscuits, oh, Significant Other, uh, for Christmas. It was edited. It was such a bummer. Uh, I think I was like ten. Uh, but like that's that dude. That's the, like kind of that's like what it was, man. It was uh, it was kind of wild. Uh, but like. There was also simpler times, you know, like you can just like, 
and there were CD places everywhere. You know, it's not like uh, nowadays where you know there's like just a handful of you know physical places where you could buy Dude, CDs. I mean, they don't you know, even sell CDs. Like, have you walked into an FYE recently? Well, no, because like there's no like. I don't even know where there is still an FYE. Yeah, dude. I, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there is still one in the, the local Charlotte Mall. And okay. If it's not open now, like it definitely was open when I first moved here. And you walk in and it just like is all gag, like gag gifts and like is basically a, another Spencer's gift, Spencer gifts. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that like, you know, even, you know, when I was working at Best Buy for a little bit of time, I mean, like they're. You know, they still got DVDs and Blu-rays, but, like, you know, their music selection is, you know, is is kind of dwindled down to almost nothing, you know. Uh, and, you know, you got specialty record stores that, you know, will sell a couple of CDs, but they mostly sell vinyl. Um, yeah, but it's like, you know, it's almost like the CD is kind of going the way that it, of the of the Buffalo, uh, which is a bummer because, man, I like, you know, I, I remember getting so excited. I had a humongous CD booklet that had all these CDs in it, man, and, like... I traveled around with that thing and you know, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of cool. So, but totally different, totally different. But, uh, you know, that being said, um, you know, nineties alternative music was just a whole, a whole different deal. Um, one last thing before we, we let you guys go. Um, definitely do want to, uh, bring up to you guys, uh, our bar down breakdown water bottles of which we still have a couple uh, we definitely want you guys to uh, to to get these things because they're awesome. They've got a cool sippy sippy thing uh, that I've been <laughs> using to keep myself hydrated. It's great. Uh, the etching on them is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and I mean, twenty five bucks for these things, man. It, it is it's a steal. Uh, we just want you guys to have them and enjoy them. So uh, I know we got a couple left. If you got any interest, just shoot us a DM or reach out to us however you want, and uh, we'll get one of those bad boys to you. And uh, like we mentioned in the uh, in the intro, uh, do make sure to go uh, and you know be a part of our newest contest with, uh, uh, you know, and get yourself a dope pair of shades, man. Um, you know, Benty is uh, is doing their their thing. They're sourcing these uh, all recycled materials, like we told you about, and it's uh, great for the environment. They're keeping their costs low. It's not a crazy amount of money for a dope pair of shades, and we're giving them away. And all you got to do is just uh, you know tag a couple friends like us, like Benty, and you can win a pair. And I think that's super cool. So, uh, you know, keep us in mind when you're, you know, the holidays are coming and I'm sure someone in your life wants a cool pair of shades or a sick water bottle. And, uh, you know, we could provide that for you. And we got some other cool stuff that's, uh, in the, in the pipe works, you know, kind of coming down soon. And, uh, we hope you're as excited for it as we are. And that's all we got, man. So, uh, you know, we thank you for, for being with us, for, uh, enjoying this episode that we had with, uh, Carver and, uh, you know, reach out to us. I mean, we haven't said it in a while, but we always love your feedback. So there's uh, anyone you think we should have on the show, any people, uh, you know, you could think of that, um, you know, like what we do or are, are kind of in our framework. We'd love to hear about it. So shoot us a DM, like our stuff, send us messages. We're super, super receptive to it. So, um, and that's all we got. So on that note, Mikey. All right, Tom, it's been real. Peace be with you. And also with you.
Hello, hello, hockey fans. My name is Nick Berlansky, host of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My co-host, Nick Horwat and I talk all things Pittsburgh Penguins, from top news to game analysis and other unconventional hockey talk, we've got you covered. A team in the playoffs or in the play-in round won the first overall pick, and I wanted to throw my phone clear across this plane. Nope, nope, it, he else? will. Yeah, see, there's he your hot will. take, got it. We're That's in. my hot take. <laughs> he will be a Hockey Hall of Famer, if not possibly first ballot Hall of Famer. That was just awful officiating, and who who was this this scrub that was officiating? Let me let me look it up real quick. Mark Rashi, <laughs> something like that? Oh, oh, Recky. I just I just wanted to see him booming it from blue line to blue line, being the lines. That's all I wanted to see. Very few general managers have those type of players, let alone three players that you can easily say, if I don't trade them, my team will be better. So all I have to do is not make a move. And I get that's a foreign concept for Jim Rutherford, but you just don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. You don't do that. (laughs) New episodes every Monday. Tune in at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. And let's go Pens.